0: Well, I want to say welcome again. So glad to have you with us today. My name is Pastor Todd. And if you've been with us for several weeks, we've been starting, we started the series called Walking with God. And uh, so far, uh, we've gone through five lessons and we are lesson number six this morning. Let me just refresh you of where we've come with this series so far. We've done five lessons, as I said, walking with God. Uh, We looked at number one, being created because you can't walk with God unless you're created by God. Uh, Number two, we looked at a two-parter called Invited into the Covenant of God, which is a very beautiful and powerful truth to know that God has not only declared His love to us, but has invited into this eternal covenant with God that we can be loved by Him for all eternity. We can serve Him. We can use our gifts. We can be together with Him for all eternity and have His love forever. So we looked at part one and two of that. Then we looked at being saved. Number one, we looked at being saved from sin. Because we are saved from sin. If, if we're in Jesus Christ, we, don't, we no longer belong to the devil. We just sang about it, didn't we? Satan is vanquished. And Jesus is king. Now we serve the risen Savior. And so we are saved from sin. And last week we talked about being saved from death. And how powerful it is to know that death is no longer our destiny. Amen. We are now destined for life, eternal life with our God, and it's all thanks to Jesus Christ. And so we continue on with this series, Walking with God, and the goal is, is simply that, so that we would not only believe in him, not only know him up here, but walk with him on a daily basis, because that's what our God wants, isn't it? He wants us to walk with him, not just on the earth, but for the rest of eternity. And so we're going to continue on with this series today by looking at something called Trained. We're going to get a little bit more practical with this series now. And look at how Jesus and God train us in order to walk with God the proper way. And so this might be a two or three part series, this little mini series on trained. And so what we're going to do today is kind of take an overview on that topic. And the next couple of weeks, we'll get a little, very practical as we look at some of those lessons from Jesus and talk about how to actually live those truths out. So we hope that you can be a part of that. Trained part one is where we're going today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter seven, by the way, if you have your Bibles, you can head over there. Matthew chapter seven which is part of the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to be in verses 24 to the end of the chapter, 24 to 29. Matthew 7, 24 to 29. Before we get there, though, I'm going to do a little bit of an icebreaker, um, which I typically do on Sundays before our lesson starts. And so today I'm going to ask you a question. Did you ever have to learn the hard way? Nobody? All of you? Most often we have to learn the hard way. Isn't that true? It's sad that that's true, but it is true. And uh, every part of life, I've noticed every part of life, no matter how old you are, has hard things. I mean, I'm noticing my four and five-year-olds, their lives seem very hard to them. They wake up and have a lot of stress. They go to bed with a lot of stress. They all circulate toys and candy, but their life is very hard. And then you get to grade school, and you're going to school. Life is hard then. You become a teenager. Life is hard then. Um, you get to your 20s and 30s. Life just continues to go up and up and a little harder every, every period. Well, I'm going to share with you some things I'm going to call this things I wish someone had told me about turning 40. <laughs> I am 44, I think. I stopped counting because once you get to 40, it doesn't matter, it just doesn't matter anymore how old you are. You stop counting birthdays. But I'm somewhere in my 40s, and I, these are things I wish someone would have brought me aside and said, Hey, be ready. 40's right around the corner, and you need to know some of these things so they don't sneak up on you. But nobody did that, I had to learn the hard way. So if anyone is, is right below 40 or or teenager or whatever, I'm gonna prep you, okay? I'm gonna love you this today and I'm gonna let you know there are some things that you get to look forward to when you're in your 40s. And I'm sure many of those above me can go, you think you have a list. <laughs> Wait till you get to my age. And I'd love to hear your list sometime. But these are my list, okay? Things I wish someone had told me about turning 40. Number one, you will have trouble reading any font smaller than 18 boldface. And that is true because I am reading from a list of 18 boldface. And I've noticed if it's any less than that, I have to squint to see it. Uh, So you'll have trouble reading any font smaller than 18 boldface. Just live in denial, okay? Your eyes are fine. You're okay. No problem there. Number two thing I wish someone had told me about turning 40 is bending down is now just as dangerous as petting a bear. (laughs) Only do it if absolutely necessary because you may not get back up. Uh, Number three thing I wish someone had told me about turning 40 is getting out of bed in the morning is now a task I've, I've learned it's best to let your body warm up for like 15 minutes It just goes better right when you get out of bed So that's something weird. Here's number four thing about turning 40 is don't look in mirrors Unless you have to inspect a new mole And even then it's best you don't just don't look in mirrors try to avoid mirrors Number five thing about turning 40 is hair is going to grow in places hair should never grow. And hair will cease to grow in places hair has always been. Hair just turns rogue when you're 40. I don't know why. Just starts to do its own thing. (laughs) Number six thing about turning 40, if you sneeze, do it loudly, in case another noise tries to sneak out. You guys can finish that up in your own mind. Can I say that from the pulpit? I just did. How about number seven thing about turning 40 is your memory will begin to betray you when you're 40, in your 40s. But it won't matter because you won't remember it. So that's a good thing. Number eight thing about turning 40 is when you think you can do something like you used to 15 years ago, you will pay dearly. Don't do that. Number nine thing about turning 40 is when someone asks you to do something past 8 p.m. You will always say no. Don't feel guilty. It's okay. You're just, you're just old. Okay, that's, that's the new thing. And number 10 thing, someone I wish had told me about turning 40 is that your body is now attractive only to your spouse. And even that is only called commitment. We have to learn the hard way sometimes, don't we? Well, sometimes we do, and sometimes we don't. And that's kind of where we're going today. Sometimes someone can train us. And thankfully, we have someone to train us, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles... Oh, I was supposed to show you a little slide there, and I didn't. So now you can look at that slide. It, it goes along with what I was saying. I just, I just thought those were funny. So uh, welcome to your 40s, everybody. Anyways, let's read the Word of God. If you have your Bibles, Matthew 7 is where we are, verses 24 to 27. And let's read the word of God together. Jesus speaking, he says in verse 24, "...everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand." And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not as their scribes. Amen. Mm-hmm. That's the word of God that we plan to talk about today. We have a three point outline if you've got the notes. Number one, we want to look at a vital security, number two, a tragic omission. And number three, a trusted authority. That's where we're going today. Let's talk about a vital security. Now, in Matthew chapter 7, we're right at the end of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And have you ever heard anyone say this before? Experience is the best teacher. You guys ever heard someone say that? Maybe a teacher or a parent. Experience. Does anyone believe that? Oh yeah. yeah. Who believes that experience is the best teacher? All right, most of you. Yeah, that's, that's a good teacher, right? These people might disagree with you. Um... <laughs> If you've ever watched America's Funniest Home Videos, that might be a better teacher than experience, uh, because they, they have a whole show of telling you what not to do, all right? And I think these people would say experience is a very harsh teacher sometimes. Sometimes, again, you have to learn the hard way, but experience could be a good teacher as well. But I think there's a better teacher than experience, I really do, and I think it's wisdom. Wisdom, I believe, according to scripture backs me up, is the best teacher there is. If you have the wisdom of God, then you can learn even without experience. You can learn before experience just from listening to those who know better. And we're going to talk about wisdom today because Jesus is going to impart his wisdom upon us. It's interesting that the world was created on God's wisdom. Did you know that? In Proverbs 3, verses 19, it says, By wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundations, and by understanding he set the heavens in place. Isn't it cool to know that God didn't just do trial and error with us? You know, just decide on a whim to create a world and create mankind and just say, let's just see how it goes. No, he didn't do that. God did it based on his wisdom. He knew exactly how it was going to play out. He did. And God founded the entire universe upon his own understanding. So therefore, God is completely in sovereign control when he creates the world. He knows exactly what he's doing according to his perfect wisdom. It also says in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If you want knowledge and wisdom, you start with knowing God and fearing God. That's where wisdom comes from. And then it says, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. I hope you're not a fool today. Because wisdom comes from God and wisdom is given to us for our benefit. And I told you, we're here in the Sermon on the Mount. Now we're at the last part. This is the last part of the Sermon on the Mount. These are the final words that comes out of Jesus' mouth that we are looking at today. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a not fair thing that we're doing today. Maybe we need to study the whole Sermon on the Mount before we do that. But I'm doing this on purpose so that we can understand God's God's concept of training his people. And Jesus in Matthew 5 through Matthew 7 is giving the greatest sermon of all time. I mean, there's no way my sermon's going to hold a candle to Jesus' sermon there in Matthew 5 through 7. He's given the greatest sermon of all time. What's interesting about it is if you read the Sermon on the Mount, sometimes when you look at it, you go, why why did Jesus teach that way? Like, why did he say what he said? Because he has this whole crowd of people coming to him. And I I remember having a couple examples like this in my life where I had a huge crowd of people before me, and I could basically have 10 minutes to say anything that I wanted. And that's when I I decided to come in really hot with the gospel and, and, and let them know that Jesus came to this earth and died for us, and here's why we're sinners But when you start Matthew chapter 5, Jesus just begins teaching the law. He just begins teaching the law of God, and it's not really the way that I was trained in Bible college to do that. If you guys remember the Romans road, right? You kind of let people know that they're sinners, and that there's wrath against sin, and that Jesus came to die for our sin. But that's not what Jesus does at all. You notice in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, this sets up the Sermon on the Mount. If you could flip over a couple verses, you'll find this passage. It says, seeing the crowds, an immense crowd, Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them. And he was going to impart to them his wisdom. And here, as I, as I mentioned about teaching the law, here's what I believe are two reasons why Jesus did what he did. Why Jesus just started speaking about the law. Because that's what he does in the beginning of Matthew 5 and all the way through Matthew 7. He speaks about the law of God. And I think there's two primary reasons why Jesus would do that. Number one is to instruct his disciples. Those who have trusted in him and those who are following him, those who are walking with God, they would understand the law. They would understand how to live. And Jesus would instruct them how to do that. That's what the law is for, for those who are believers. But there's a secondary reason you might teach about the law. It's to reach the lost those who are not yet in Jesus, to reveal to those unbelievers how lost they really are without Jesus. Because when you read the law of God and you do not belong to Jesus Christ, you know the conclusion you come to? Wow, I'm lost. That's the standard that God expects me to live up to? I'm nowhere near that. And that leads you to reach out to the Savior. And that's a great thing that God did it that way, to instruct those who are His and to reveal to those who aren't yet His that they need Him. And that's why I believe Jesus is speaking about the law in the Sermon on the Mount. And we'll come back to that here in a little bit. But do you guys recognize this picture if it comes up here? Come on screen. Ooh, the suspense. There we go. you guys recognize that picture? Who recognizes that picture? Those pictures there. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of you. Um, that is a picture of the typical Walker household <laughs> on a weekday. And uh, here's Janine and I over here. I'll let you decide who is who. Um, I'm kidding and not kidding at the same time, because if you came to our house, even right now, you might see, if you walk into our kitchen, 10 to 12 Hot Wheels laying on the ground. My little son Thurman loves to set up his Hot Wheels. It's like one of the, one of the floors in our house that's not carpeted is the kitchen. So he takes his Hot Wheels and races them and and does all things. But you walk into our kitchen, it's like a minefield. It really is. And when you get into your forties, that's pretty dangerous stuff. And you have to really watch where you step because it's like a home alone trap. And I've also noticed my son Thurman does something else. Is he likes to like sneak up behind us, and he's really small and tiny, so you don't hear him walking. And suddenly, parents understand somebody's nodding. <laughs> He'll come up right behind us and just kind of like stand, or sometimes even kneel. And if I take even the smallest step backwards, I'm going down on my on my can, just like uh, Marvin Harry there. And uh, sometimes it's dangerous to be a parent. And here's another thing I don't like, and maybe you guys will fellowship with this as well. Ice. I don't like ice. Now I'm a weather I'm a cold cold weather fan, let me say that correctly. I like cold, I like snow, I like blizzard, I like all of it. We went on a sleigh ride the other day. My sister got me a sleigh ride as a gift for my birthday in December, and we got to redeem it this past week. and it was cold and snowing, and blustering. I loved it. Wind in my face, you know, ice in my beard, ice up my nose. It was fantastic. <laughs> Except when you're walking on ice, right? That's a totally different thing. Or driving on ice. I really don't like ice. And in fact, let me share a story with you. Because uh, I've fallen hard on ice. Who has fallen really hard on ice before? Boy, almost everybody. Um, it's, it's really severe when you fall on ice. There's no kind, easy way to fall on ice. You just go down hard. Well, I was, I was at Dunkin' Donuts here in town. I, was, I had to do two errands. I had to drop some stuff off at the post office. And then I was going to get coffee for the family and bring it home. And so I'm, I parked at Dunkin' Donuts. And I came down from their parking lot to the sidewalk there in Main Street and uh i went from the parking lot to the sidewalk and i didn't notice that the sidewalk had black ice couldn't see it couldn't tell so the the moment i stepped from the parking lot onto the sidewalk i fell i fell hard and awkward and all the mail that i was carrying flew up in the air i mean it was a really hard awkward fall And what's the first thing you do when you get back up from a hard fall you look around right who saw that (laughs) who saw that idiot just fall on his can and then i noticed that someone i noticed saw me (laughs) Um, In in his car, I think it's on Maple Street, the one right between the two, um, is Pastor Mac Starring. You guys know Mac Starring, the retired pastor at Faith Bible? He's in his car with his wife. And then I recognize that it's him, and guess what he's doing? He's laughing at me. Because that's what pastors do to each other. They laugh. And so I went over to Mac and said hi to him and his wife and had to act like I wasn't as hurt as I actually was, because I was pretty hurt. Um... But I'm that that guy, I hate ice so much. I'm that guy that if I go into a store, like a Walgreens or a Rite Aid, and I notice their sidewalk is icy, I will go find their salt. I will. I'll go find their bucket of salt, and I'll go spread it out on the walk because I know I'm going to fall on the way out or someone else is going to fall. And so I've done that a handful of times. I've taken their salt, i put it on the walk, and I've basically declared war on ice. I don't like it. It's not a friend. I hate you, ice. I just want you to know. But it's really bad to not have your feet under you, isn't it? I think one of the worst survival places you can be is in the ocean or in the, in the water i can't think of any worse survival place to be having to survive when you don't have your feet under you when there's no land underneath you i think that would be one of the hardest places to survive well i want you to notice jesus words here at the beginning of what we're our, our little lesson here today in verse 24 he says everyone then now you have to remember this is the end of the sermon on the mount he has just spoken a whole sermon on the law And so he's going to conclude by saying these things today. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. And he's going to give us a metaphor. A metaphor is is comparing it to something else to help us make sense of it. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So the person that hears the words of Jesus and does the words of Jesus will be like that wise man who decided to build his house upon the rock. That's the metaphor. Now, I've learned two things about New Hampshire in my short time here, is that we love two things. We love freedom, right? It's right in our little tagline there, live free or die. We will live free no matter what. And then I've also learned another, number two thing, is we love rock. We like rock. We're called the Granite State. You wouldn't call us the Granite State unless, unless we liked rock, and we got the little old man of the mountain here basically plaster and everything. And that means we like rock. We like freedom and rock. Those are two great things to like, aren't they? In fact, it doesn't take much to realize there's a gospel parallel there. Freedom, rock, they both represent Jesus Christ. I don't know if New Hampshire was thinking of that when they did that, but I think that's kind of cool as a passion <laughs> that we like both freedom and rock. Now I'm going to give you a little bit of a quiz. Here's a picture of some famous rocks. And I want to see who can get 100% on these, okay? And one of them's a free space, okay? Bottom right, what is this one? Famous rock, better not struggle with this one. Mount Washington, there it is, okay. okay. We struggled. No, yeah, I didn't trick you. It's, it's not a trick question. That's Mount Washington, let's go top right. What is that one? Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore, anybody seen Mount Rushmore up close? Okay, a few of us. I did, I saw Mount Rushmore up close. It's exactly what you think it is. It's president's faces carved in rock. And when you're 13, that's not that cool. You go and see President Rocks in, in face, and you go, yep, that's exactly what I thought it was going to be. And then we saw it during the day, and then we went back at night, and they had spotlights on it. It wasn't any better. It was like, okay, there they, there they are again in a spotlight. I didn't really enjoy it, but I guess it's pretty cool. Uh, what about this one, top left? Anyone know what that is? Stonehenge. Anyone know where that is? It's in England. Yeah. I, I believe it's 5,000 years old or something like that. It's a long time. And what about this one, bottom left? Anyone know what that is? The Rock of Gibraltar. Anyone know where that is? Gibraltar. <laughs> I set her up, didn't I? It's right there in Gibraltar. It wouldn't surprise you, right? The rock of Gibraltar is there in Gibraltar? Yeah, it's somewhere in the Mediterranean. Famous rocks. When, the thing about rock is that there's so many famous rocks. There's so many. I could have put tons of them up there because rock lasts, doesn't it? That's why most people, when they're building a wall, they do it with rock. Because it withstands things. It can withstand weather and possibly even being hit by a car or something like that because rock is strong. And we all learned this from a story when we were little, didn't we? That if you're going to build a house and you're a pig, (laughs) you don't want to build it with straw. That's a bad idea, especially when the wolf comes by. You don't want to build it with wood, even though wood seems like it would be strong. It's not strong enough. You want to build it with brick, brick, i.e. rock, right? Because rock and brick and things like that, they last, they're strong. They withstand even the scary big bad wolf. Here's what's interesting, or maybe even somber, is that our lives are fragile, aren't they? Our lives are fragile, and you don't have to be 40 to know that. Now, in your 40s, you start to realize it more than you were in your 30. But life is fragile, and we all have learned that in some way, shape, or form, either through our own life or someone that we've lost. Life is fragile, and it's hard. And it says in Psalm 39, Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. In fact, it's a biblical thing. It's a good thing to know that we are not here a long time. That's a really benefit a beneficial thing for us to know. And therefore, Jesus metaphor today is going to help us understand something of great wisdom. Because when Jesus gives us this metaphor and when he refers to a wise man building his house upon the rock. This metaphor of a house is referring to our life. That's what he's referring to when he says house. He's referring to our lives. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his life upon the rock. Because our lives are fragile, aren't they? And therefore, we need a very steady, rock-solid foundation below us. And so Jesus gives us two things in order to understand the metaphor. He says, number one, you must hear. You must hear the words of Jesus. In order to have a wisdom, in order to build your life upon the rock, you must hear Jesus. Number two thing you must do is you must obey Jesus. And we will... Flesh that out a little bit today. You must hear Jesus and obey Jesus if you want to be like the wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rest of Scripture supports this. If you come to James chapter 1, James says it this way. He says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Otherwise, you are deceiving yourselves. Deceiving yourselves into what? Into thinking that you're actually on the rock into thinking that you actually are a Christian. By hearing the words of Jesus only, many believe they have faith because they go to a Sunday service, much like today, and go, I heard. I heard the pastor speak, I went to church, I was in the chair, and therefore I must be a Christian. And that's not what scripture supports. It says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, otherwise you deceive yourselves into thinking that your house or your life is upon the rock when it's, when it's not. And that's a tragic thing to find out too late. Because this is what's going to happen. In verse 25, the metaphor continues. It says, And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. Now, we don't know exactly what Jesus has in mind. There's a lot of theologians that have tried to guess of what Jesus means. Is he talking about the trials of life? Possibly. Is he talking about Judgment Day? Possibly. It could be both. But either way, the metaphor stands. The rain is going to come, the floods are going to come, the wind is going to come, and it's going to beat against that house. But this house does not fall. Why does it not fall? Because it's so pretty? It's so expensive? I mean, you put so many great things into the house? No, because it has been founded on the rock. Do you notice it? That's why the house will not fall, because the foundation is secure and strong. And this is an important distinction for us to make, that it matters very little how beautiful your house is or your life is. It matters very little how, what kind of riches you have or what kind of family you're from. It matters to some degree, but it doesn't matter in the true important things. What re- matters most of all is that your life is built on a steady foundation. Because one day in this life and in the next, there's going to be a storm. And a storm is going to hit against that house. And some houses will stand and some houses will fall. And Jesus does not want our house to fall. Isn't that beautiful of Jesus? He's looking out for our life. He does not want us to experience the fall that will come from not being on the rock. So he's teaching us today to build upon the rock. And the foundation is what matters most of all because one day that's that's actually going to happen. A storm of, an unprecedented storm called called God's wrath is going to hit this world And the world, just like in the days of Noah, is not going to be able to withstand this storm. Everything, except that which is on the rock, is going to be destroyed. But it's a cool little thing to think about here, is that some houses will stand. Some lives will stand on that day. Not because, again, of how beautiful they are, or how great their life has been, but because they have that steady foundation below them of Jesus Christ. Jesus is now referring to himself, In Matthew 7, 24-29, saying, I am the rock. I am. And when you build your house upon me, your house will stand no matter the storm that comes against you. And that is Jesus' greatest desire for us. In fact, I decided to bring up a passage of Scripture from Matthew 8. This is a passage I've always loved that sort of symbolizes this exact metaphor playing out. In Matthew 8, his disciples are with Jesus. In fact, in this setting, they get into a boat. Jesus and his disciples get into the boat. The disciples follow him. And what happens this very day happens as a direct result of the disciples following Jesus. That's really important to know, okay? Because what's going to happen here is a very big storm is going to come. And the disciples, this is not a random thing that took place here. They are experiencing what they experienced because they followed Jesus into the boat, all right? So in verse 24, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea. Now that must be a precarious position to be in, right? Right? on the sea in a boat and a massive storm comes upon you the storm is so big that the boat is being swamped by the waves but where's jesus he's taking a nap in the midst of this huge storm on this little boat jesus is asleep and his disciples are experiencing this storm on their own and it's a very big storm and i just want you to picture what this might look like okay you're in a small little fishing vessel maybe a small sailboat And typically you're fine, right? As long as the weather's not too choppy, you're going to be fine. But I'm sure every mariner, every fisherman who's been in this situation knows what it's like when a big, massive wave is coming right at your vessel. And this is actually happening in the disciples, so much so the waves are swamping the boat. The boat is collecting the water. The water's coming into the boat, and the disciples are experiencing this scenario. So they did what most of us probably would do in that situation. Jesus is in the boat, the Son of God, the creator of the world, the Christ. And so they went to Jesus and woke him up saying, Save us, Lord. We are perishing. We're going to die. I mean, it's not, it's not a hard conclusion to go, water in boat, not a good thing. And that boat will come down and everyone in that boat is going to drown unless something takes place. So what are the disciples realizing at that moment? We're fragile. We're fragile. And this wave, this storm that's coming against us is bigger than we are and it has the propensity to kill us. But in verse 26, Jesus says in response to them, in the midst of the storm, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Now, when I first read that, it sounds a little harsh from Jesus. It's like, really, Jesus? I mean, this is not a small storm. These guys are mariners. These guys are fishermen. These guys are used to storms. This must be a pretty intense storm for them to be terrified. And the waves are swamping the boat. And they wake Jesus up, maybe, which is a good thing. It's like Jesus is the one, he's the savior. He's the one you should wake up. And Jesus rebukes them for their little faith. And then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. Isn't that cool? Isn't that powerful? That what looked like a terrifying situation to the disciples in a moment is calm Because Jesus rebukes the winds and the sea? And the men marveled, saying, even the disciples marvel, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Going back to our little picture here big wave, okay? Big storm coming against a little boat, little disciples, fragile people. But guess who's in the boat? The rock. And all the waves can take down the disciples. They can harm fragile people here upon the earth. The waves have no authority over Jesus, do they? None. The storm has no authority over Jesus. The storm cannot hurt Jesus without his permission. So Jesus teaches the disciples something that day, saying, you are small, but I am not. And I'm in the boat with you. Therefore, it should teach you something that you're going to be safe as long as you're on the rock. As long as you're with the rock, the storm may come against you in life, and it will come against you in life, but it cannot be fatal to those who are in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Because we are founded upon the rock. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says it this way. He says, Therefore, based on what Jesus did on the cross, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Isn't it remarkable to know that whether someone agrees with Jesus or believes in Jesus or not, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess one day that he is Lord because he is Lord and he is the King and God made it so. And even the winds and the waves of this life obey Jesus. So it means your storm, your boat might jostle about. But can your boat go down if Jesus is with you? Not spiritually, not fatally, not tragically. The storm is within the sovereignty of God's plan. And this is what helps us make sense of 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 to 10, where the Apostle Paul says this, he says, We are hard-pressed on every side. Isn't that true? I, I feel that sometimes, that I'm being pressed in from every side of life. But Paul says, but we're not crushed. Perplexed, I'm often perplexed in life, but not in despair. Persecuted, yes, but not abandoned. Struck down, often, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Because from death in Jesus, we already talked about this, comes life. Life in Jesus comes with death in Jesus. And so even for the person who's in the boat and the storm comes against us, the worst it can do to us is bring us to our better existence with God in heaven. And that is a beautiful truth to know if we're founded upon the rock. So we've talked about a vital security. Let's move on to a tragic omission. A tragic omission. Now, did you ever do anything in life um, where you forgot something pretty crucial? You neglected something pretty important? We all have, right? Um, Let me share a story with you again. Uh, In 2010, I believe it was. uh, We went down to Roanoke, Virginia. Who knows where that is? And we did a missions trip. I was a part of a campus uh, organization there in Michigan and we traveled from Michigan to Virginia to be a part of this missions trip in Virginia because there was an inner city mission that we were gonna help. And they were just serving the community and we were gonna help do whatever they needed us to do. So they told us, one of the things we really need to do is we need to get this building better. We need to you know, um, refurbish it and get it back better than it was. So the first thing we need to do is we need to get all the stuff out of it. It's called demolition. You guys ever heard of that? Demolition, and really what we need, just need you to do is clear the building out for us. Come in and just help clear it out, get all the junk out of it, take it away so that we can build it and build it better. And so that seemed pretty simple, right? We had a team with us, and I had no experience with demolition, but it seemed pretty easy to me because I know knocking down is easy, right? Building up, I have no experience building. But knocking down, I have tons of experience knocking down. In fact, so do my kids. My kids are fantastic at it. Um, but I didn't have an experience doing demolition, and that was going to be an important detail. Um, because as we went in there, we were in there for you know many hours, clearing this whole room out. At one point, one of the most experienced guys, and I put that in air quotes, um, said to me, Todd, I need your help with something. I said, sure, what do you need? And he said, come on over here. And I was one of the leaders of the group, and he, he brought me over and said, all I need you to do, is I'm having trouble getting this mirror, out of its place and I can't get it out by myself and I just need you to hold the mirror. He just gave me very simple instructions. Hold the mirror and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dislodge it." And I said, okay, I can do that. Well because I had no experience and because I'd never held a mirror in a demolition situation, <laughs> I don't know what you would have done if someone told you to hold a mirror, but I decided to hold it from the bottom because I remember my mom telling me that with bags of groceries and things like that. If it's ever heavy, hold it from the bottom. Hold it from the bottom, Todd. So I remember saying, okay, I'm gonna hold this thing from the bottom like this. And there, I had another tragic mistake. I had gloves on, which is a smart thing when you're doing demolition, but my gloves ended at the base of my hand, yeah. And I don't wanna to get too, too graphic here, but as the guy was pulling the mirror out, something interesting happened. Now I held onto my mirror, I did my job. I held onto my part of the mirror, the only problem is the mirror broke in half. And his top, he did not hold onto it. And that top of that mirror came down right on my wrist and you can imagine what happened. I had a hole in my wrist that I'd never had before. And I'm looking down at my wrist going, well, that's odd. I don't think I've ever seen it before. <laughs> Stuff on the inside of my wrist. And I had to go to the emergency room, and I, again, I don't want to get too graphic. They had to stitch me up and I was fine. An interesting part of that story is I actually severed a tendon. Um, and he goes, can you wiggle your fingers? And I said, yeah. He goes, that's amazing. He goes, and he, he showed me. He goes, look, you've severed a tendon. And I go, well, how is that possible? I'm able to move my fingers. He goes, well, 10% of the people in this world have an extra tendon in their wrist. And he goes, you're one of them. And I'm like, well, that's good to know. I severed a tendon I don't need. So now there's just a loose tendon in my wrist. Anyways, there was a tragic omission on my part because I didn't hold the mirror probably the way that I should. This man didn't give me the instruction that he should. I didn't have gloves on. And that ended up being a really hard day because I got really injured that day. Well, Jesus is going to give us something similar to this, only this is much more tragic when Jesus speaks about it. He says in verse 26, Everyone who hears these words of mine... Now, it starts off very similar, doesn't it? Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them... Here's the metaphor again. We'll be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Now, in number one, we had someone hearing Jesus... And then the second part is they obey Jesus. Now, in this scenario, they hear Jesus only, and when they get to step two, they do nothing with it. They hear, just like the first people group heard the words of Jesus, but this time they don't do anything about that. They do nothing. They don't obey Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, in the metaphor, this is like a foolish man who built his house. And remember, he's talking about something significant here. Our lives on the sand. On the sand. Now, again, here's what it says in James 1.22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, otherwise you are deceiving yourselves. We must not just hear, but hear and obey. In fact, this past week, if you saw this on the news, and this is like almost divine from God, and I, I feel bad using this as an example because it's tragic. But if, is this California? Somewhere like that, this happened where the houses, million-dollar houses... The ground below them are starting to erode. They build their houses right on the cliff to overlook the the sea there. And the the ground beneath them is starting to erode. All the dirt and the dust and the sand is eroding below these million-dollar houses. And I think the houses have stand up until now. But can you imagine living in that house, realizing that the ground beneath you is starting to crumble and fall below you? That would be tragic, wouldn't it? And it doesn't matter how beautiful your house is. That's your, still your home, isn't it? That's your home. That's the place that you live in. If your house is on a cliff, a ledge side, and the ground below you is caving and eroding, that's a very precarious position to be in. Because something tragic could occur. Well, back to our metaphor. Jesus says, and the rain fell, just like it did before. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat against that house. But this time something tragic occurs. It fell. And Jesus says, and great was the fall of it. And I don't think he means like great, like good, like that's a really good thing. I think he means tragic. It fell and the fall of it was tragic. It was such a great fall that it was a tragic fall. All because it was built upon the sand instead of the rock. Can you imagine being in a situation as a home? I don't want to even imagine that. My home eroding and the rocks and the sand below me, caving in. But I definitely don't want to think about it as my life. My life here upon the earth and my life on the other side, standing before God. That my life could one day fall to ruin because there's no rock below me holding me up. And Jesus has given us a little bit of a window into this situation. This is a prophecy in Matthew 7. This is actually takes place before our passage. In Matthew 7, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to, me, says to us in verse 21 Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that strange? Isn't that strange? Is there going to be people who claim that Jesus is their Lord and won't go to heaven according to the words of Jesus? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I've done the research. I've done the stats. I don't know how accurate they are, but at least two-thirds of Americans believe they believe in Jesus. They say they're Christians. Two-thirds. That's over 200 million people in our nation believe that they're Christians. Do you think we have over 200 million Christ followers in this nation? And if so, wouldn't our nation be in a little bit better situation than it is? So the conclusion we have to come to is that Jesus is right. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is a Christian. There's some people who are claiming it, but they don't have the rock beneath them, the rock below their life. So Jesus says, again, supporting what he's about to say later on, Not everyone who says to me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven and maybe that makes you uncomfortable going, man, that doesn't, that doesn't sound very grace. That sounds a little bit works. Jesus going, man, is that really how we do this thing? No, what Jesus is saying is validation. Obedience is validation of faith, isn't it? If we don't obey, we cannot tell anyone that we actually believe. If it's just an academic assertion, if it's just vo- voices that echo that we believe, but we don't actually put it into practice, the question could be asked, do you actually believe? Because if you did believe, you would produce it by your obedience and by your actions. He says, on that day, many, wow, that's a very sobering word to hear. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Jesus never asked us to do that. Did we not cast out demons in your name? Jesus never commanded us to do that. Didn't we do many mighty works in your name? Jesus never told us to do miracles in his name. And he says, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Wow. That is one of the most sobering texts I've ever read. I almost didn't bring it up because it's, it, it's so heavy. But we have to hear this today because these are the words of Jesus telling us that on the last day we need rock. We need Jesus as our foundation. And the only way to validate that we have Jesus as our foundation is by our obedience to the words that we heard come out of his mouth. Otherwise, we're going to be like those in the last day, going, Lord, I called you, Lord, I went to church. I heard a bunch of sermons. Jesus might say to us, I never knew you. You aren't mine. I, I said things you didn't listen. I said things you never obeyed. I told you what to do. You turned the other way. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And this brings up this concept of hypocrisy, right? I found this little church sign. Some of these can be pretty humorous. This one's not at all. It says a hypocrite is a person who is not himself on Sunday. Isn't that interesting? Have you ever been there? Because I have. I have been there for years. I pretended to be someone on Sunday that I was not throughout the rest of the week because I wanted to look like I had it together. I wanted to look like I was amongst those who had it together. So I faked it. I put on a mask, and I faked it, and I acted like I was a true follower of Jesus Christ, even though that afternoon, that evening, and the rest of the week, I didn't care less what Jesus said, what Jesus commanded me to do. I lived my own life, and then I went back on Sunday and did it again. That's a hypocrite. That's a person who says one thing and does the complete opposite of what they say they believe. Now, just to lighten the mood a little bit, because that's heavy, um, growing up, I did play golf. Any golfers in the room? Joel? That's it? All right, got three of us. <laughs> we'll have to go out sometimes. That's where the only golfers uh, I did golf growing up. I enjoyed golf. I went with my mother. I'm oh, not my mother. My mother wouldn't golf. golfed. I went with my brother, everybody but my mother, my father, my sister. We all went golfing. It was fun. Um, but when we went golfing, we liked to have fun. We weren't that big of a stickler when we went golfing. So we ended up making up this thing called Walker Rules. Um, <laughs> When we went golfing, and Walker Rules is a fun way to play golf because if, if it's not going well, just make it go well. And so uh, if you ever hit a, hit a ball near a tree, just kick it out. If you ever hit it into the lake, you just tee it back up and hit another one and you don't count the score. Well, I, I decided to go golfing with my friend once. His name was Josh. And Josh worked at a country club and I started working at this country club with Josh. And Josh loved golf. He was an avid golfer. And, and Josh said to me, Todd, we should play golf together. And I was a little intimidated by that, but I also knew that I had walker rules in my pocket there. So <laughs> I decided to go golfing with my friend Josh, and uh, it started off really fun because I started playing the way that I was accustomed to playing golf. So if I hit it into the sand or the water, i just re it, hit it again. And uh, if I hit it near a tree, i just use my little foot and kick it out there into the fairway. <laughs> and Josh would go at the end of, this, at, at the end of every hole. He'd go, Todd, what did you get on that hole? I'm like, yeah, I got a five. And he goes... I kept, he kept having this like furrowed brow look because he he knew I hit the ball like 10 times. (laughs) He's like, really? A five? Okay. So, but after a few holes went on like that, Josh decided to confront me. (laughs) He decided to confront me and said, Todd, Todd, what are you doing? He said, there's no way you're doing this good because I'm watching you. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, what are you doing here? I go, I'm playing golf. He goes, no, 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 this isn't golf. And I go, what do you mean, Josh? I'm having a fun time here. We're just playing golf together. He goes, well, you're not playing golf. You're doing your own version of golf, but it's not golf. It has its own rules. You do whatever you want, whatever you want. And he called me out for not being a golfer, and it was really offensive to me because I was playing golf, at least I thought I was, and that day Josh told me I was not a golfer, that I was playing some other made-up game that I called golf, and that day my score was in the hundreds because Josh actually retroactively scored my, my first few holes, and that was not a pleasant day. I never went golfing with Josh again, by the way. Who needed that kind of golf? So if we go golfing, Joel, Walker Rules is coming back out. Uh, We'll do great for handicap. Um, But it does illustrate our point, doesn't it? That there's a lot of people in this world making up their own Christianity. A lot of people. A lot of people saying, I know how to do this. I will do this. I will do this according to what my family's done. I will do this according to how my spirit and my personality lines up. And I'm going to put God's name on it. And at the end of the day, that's all he needs to see. I just put God's name on it, put Jesus' name on it. God's like, okay, you must be in because my name's on it. Instead of doing exactly as he told us to do. Isn't that an important distinction? It's going to be on the last day, even if we don't consider it now. When we stand on Judgment Day, and the question is given to us similar to this. Why did you live the way that you lived? Don't you want to be able to say back to the Lord, because you said so? I did it because you told me to. I did it because you commanded me to. That is why I pastor the way that I pastored, So that I could say to the Lord on the last day, I did it according to your word, Lord. Not because it was easy, but because it's right. And that's because of what you asked me to do. And now we go back to the metaphor. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does not do them. Excuse me, this is the first part. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Number one, they hear. Number two, they obey. Second of all, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Number one, they hear. And they stop with the hearing only. And great is the fall of it. Now, that would be, again, that would be tragic if that happened to your home. I can only imagine being in that situation because that would be absolutely devastating. But what if that was your life? What if that was your life? Your eternal life. On the last day, you expect it to stand. You expect God to be your God and Jesus to be your Lord. And there's no rock beneath you. And the prophecy comes true. You're built upon the sand because you didn't obey the words of Jesus Christ. And great and tragic is the fall of it. I don't want anyone I love to experience that. Anybody I love. Just like I said before about ice, I don't want anybody I know to fall on ice. Anybody. That's why I salt things crazy. In fact, out here I just, I empty, like sometimes I have those salt things, I just empty the thing out there. And there's, you walk in with tons of salt, you're going, who salted this thing? It was me. Um, because I don't want anyone I love to get hurt. Jesus doesn't want anyone he loves to get hurt. Do you know that? That's why he's saying what he says today. So that we don't fall tragically. But he has to ask us this question today. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Because that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense to say Lord and not follow it with obedience. And Jesus is calling us out today because he doesn't want us to experience the tragic fall. And in Romans chapter 2, Paul brings this up, this, this hypocrisy. Um, he flushed this out a little bit. In Romans chapter 2, he says, speaking to the Christians in Rome, he says, Therefore you have no excuse, O oh man, every one of you who judges other people. For in passing judgment on another you condemn yourselves, because you, the judge, practice the very same things that you're judging other people for. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? While you say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. I don't want that to be considered my testimony at all. I don't want to be judging others and preaching to others. And on the last day, I'm not even real. I'm not even real. That would be the worst tragic fall a pastor could experience, is that I teach others, I declare the word to others, and on the last day, my life falls. Because I wasn't found out on the rock. So Jesus said this. He said, I've not come to call the righteous... They called sinners to repentance. And we've talked about this already that Jesus came to turn us around, around 180 degrees to go from sin to righteousness found only in Jesus Christ. Now we need to move a little quickly through our last point. It's called a trusted authority. A trusted authority. Now, in our lives, we're, we're doing weird things today. We really are. We live in a weird culture, a weird culture. Everybody has these things, these little robots in their house, in their car, in their office, and we're asking these robots questions, right? As if the robot knows better than us. Um, I don't wanna even say the words of these robots because I might trigger some of them in your pocket. Uh, but uh, this happens, doesn't it? We have a question, my, my twins, my kids do this a lot. They have a question, they just blurt it out to our Alexa and uh, it responds with the information that's been programmed that, to have what she has. And, but I've noticed that we're kind of trending the wrong way, aren't we? We're taking all of our important questions And we're asking the world, as if the world knows, our important questions of life. Who should we be asking? The one who created us. The one who saved us. The one who was there at the beginning. Now, if I was in a true survival situation, and I wouldn't be good in that typically, but if I was in a real survival situation, I would demand to have one of these two men with me. Okay, I would demand it. You put me in a tricky situation, I have to survive. I want one of these two guys with me. I want Mr. Bear Grylls, maybe you guys know who that is, a survivalist he has been on TV a long time, and Mr. Joel White. I think if I have one of those guys with me, I'm going to be fine, because they know what they're doing, and I do not. But I would listen to those guys, because those guys have knowledge and experience beyond what I do, and I don't, I don't want to get harmed. I don't want to do something dumb. I don't want to find myself in a tricky situation, because I don't know what I'm doing. I would listen to those who know, right, because that's what wisdom says. If you don't know, ask those who do. And just think about this question for a moment. Who was your favorite teacher? Do you have a favorite teacher? I asked this to Janine last night, and she couldn't. She really struggled coming up with one because she had so many good teachers, I guess. Um, she ended up saying her mom, and I thought that was a really good answer because her mom was a teacher for, for most of Janine's growing up years. But I had a favorite teacher. His name was Mr. Fruchet, and he taught a really strange subject that I took in school called Russian history. I don't know why I took it. It was an elective. I chose to take it but it, that class was awesome and the class was awesome a because russian history is crazy it really is crazy and and keeps your attention second of all mr Fouche was just a great teacher he just taught he made he made it palatable he made you want to learn he was humorous he just kind of captivated me and it was just one of those classes i every every day i looked forward to going well after jesus gives his discourse and we're not just talking about the one we're looking at today after the sermon on the mount the whole sermon on the mount, all three chapters At the end, it says this in verse 28. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Now, the scribes are the guys who knew the law in their culture. The scribes are the ones you would have gone to to get the answers about, about religion, about Judaism. Scribes teach us what does it mean to follow God. The scribes would have known better than anybody until Jesus arrived. And when Jesus arrives and teaches the Sermon on the Mount, the light bulb goes on and goes, this guy, it's almost like he was there. I mean, it's almost like Jesus knows because he was there. That's what they're coming to. That's the conclusion they're coming to. Bob Dylan once said this. He says, i forgot more than you'll ever know. I can't validate that. I don't know exactly what that means. But I disagree with you, Bob Dylan. I don't think you're right. But here's the way God puts it. In Job 38.4, it says, you were, when you... Let me say that again. Were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. You know who he's saying this to? Job. Job, one of the greatest, most righteous men of all time. Job gets confronted in chapter 38 of Job. And he says to Job, Job, where were you when I created the world? Were you there, Job? Job, were you a part of it? Did, Did I ask your permission? Did I ask your advice about how to create the world? Job, tell me, what was it like at the beginning, Job? And Job has no answers. Job just has to come to the conclusion going, you're right, God. You're right. Sure, I'm righteous according to my own standard, but if you measure me according to you, I am in need. God, you are my creator. God, you are my father. You were there at the beginning and I was not. In Isaiah 55, the prophet says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that his ways and his thoughts are higher than ours? I certainly am. He says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. One day the light bulb will go on profoundly when we stand in heaven with God and we start to know everything that he knows. But here, there's a lot of trust demanded, isn't there? There's a lot of trust expected of the Christ follower, to go, I was not there. I am not the creator. I am not the Lord and the king of this universe. You are God, and therefore I will listen to your word. And Jesus says this about a sheep, the real sheep. He says, my sheep hear my voice. Not just hear, but obey. They know me. They follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Their house will not fall. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Because they know me. They know I'm the Lord. They follow me. They listen to me. They follow me and follow my instruction because I am their shepherd. And this proves, if we believe it, that Jesus is greater than, isn't he? He's greater than. He's greater than anybody. He's greater than anything. If Jesus tells us something, it's right. No matter how hard it is to hear, it's right and it's good and it's beneficial. And he was there. He knows he's God, he's the king of the universe. He's the sovereign, holy God. We should listen to him because that's what wisdom looks like. And I'm putting myself in that boat as well. So a couple of times, God the Father, when Jesus was up on the earth, had to declare to the people there that Jesus had his full authority. So he spoke this audible message from heaven. I mean, imagine that. You're, you're there you're with Jesus and this voice, this audible voice comes from heaven and I'm guessing this big, booming, God-like voice, this Is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased? Listen to him. Man, could it be clearer than that, guys? Could it be clearer than God telling us, follow my son? Listen to my son. If he says it, do it. If he declares it, it's right. Do what Jesus says. And I'm thankful for that instruction because it's crystal clear. I don't have to second guess it. I don't have to really dig into that and go, what is the real meaning of that? I just go, okay, God, you know better. And let's look at the metaphor one more time. Everyone and then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. What's the point today before we close? Our application is pretty simple. Number one, Nobody loves us like Jesus Christ. You would not say these things to us unless you loved us. You would just let our house go wherever it went, build whatever it's built upon, and find out on the last day if you were real or you're not real. And Jesus doesn't do that. He declares to us the way to know that we're upon the rock or not. Jesus' words are are the gateway to eternal life and joy. And I really, truly hope you believe that. Because they are. Number two, Therefore, let us learn Jesus' words, because we can't obey unless we know. We can't obey unless we hear. Let us learn the words of Jesus. Let us remember and recall those words, and then let us obey the words of Jesus for the remainder of our lives. Because Jesus is trying his absolute best to make sure our house is built upon the rock forever. Think about the word eternity. That's a long time for your house to either stand or fall. And our last question today, are you, like I was for many years, a hypocrite? Saying one thing, believing it with your, with your mouth and your mind, but your body goes a completely different way. If so, that's tragic to find out. It really is. It's, it's awkward to hear, it's awkward to know, but at the same time, it can be corrected today. Did you know that? If you're a hypocrite, now sitting in these chairs, you can leave and not be one anymore. And the way that you do that is you focus your eyes and your mind upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you say, it's you. It's always been you. You're the God, you're the king and I will follow you from now on as long as you give me the grace that I need to do that. And I remember the day that I said that to the Lord. Lord, if you'll help me, I don't want to be this way anymore. I don't want to be an I don't want to take off a mask and put a mask on every Sunday anymore. I want to be a true follower of you. And on the last day, I want my house to stand. I want my house to stand. I want desperately. And I want yours to stand as well. I really do. And so does Jesus Christ. And that's the point. Is that we would hear the words of Jesus. We would be trained by him. And we would go out and obey the exact words that he's given us. That's being trained, part one. The next time we will look at something even more practical. As we look at some of the lessons Jesus gives us. And what does it look like to put those into our life? Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we're so grateful that you have decided to send Jesus to this earth, not just to save, but also to train. Father, thank you for the wisdom that you've imparted upon us, even this very hour, that we would go from this place with a better understanding or just a reminder, if nothing else, of the fact that Jesus Christ is God. He is our Lord. He is the King of the universe. He knows what he's talking about. He has the perfect understanding of right and wrong. Father, and he loves us. And I pray for every soul in this room that we would understand that today and we would leave this place with that understanding. And then we have a choice, Father, to line up behind Jesus Christ or continue going the way that we've been going. And I pray for everyone in this room that today would maybe be a fresh start in that beginning of lining up behind our Lord Jesus, saying, From now on, if you will help me, God, I will go the way that you go <laughs> because you love me more than anyone ever could. Father, we thank you for this message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.